This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Here we are at midweek. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. Here's what we'll be talking about today. More on Midwest flooding. A little bit later, we'll hear from USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey about the USDA response to the flooding. We'll also be talking markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Rabo Agrifinance. And we're going to talk with the executive director of the Center for Food Integrity, how the antibiotic issue could impact consumers' choices when it comes to eating meat or not. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in some later, the latest uh, study on that and some of the information we're starting to see come in from consumers on the antibiotic issue. But we do start things off with more on the flooding in the Midwest and especially in the state of Nebraska. Joining us now is Susan Littlefield with the KRVN Rural Radio Network. Susan, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's the latest uh, from your state of Nebraska? Well, thanks so much. And first of all, I got a huge shout out, shout out and thank you to so many of your listeners who have reached out from their states to say, what can we do to help? Whether they're driving here to Nebraska to volunteer or they're sending stuff our way, it is so much appreciated. Yesterday, about three o'clock, we did get some um, more information coming from Nebraska's emergency management. 82 cities have emergency declarations, 70 counties out of um, the number that we have is uh, 93 total. So 70 of the 93 have emergency declarations, four tribal areas under emergency declarations, and five special government emergency declarations. This is um, worse, they say, than the flooding that we saw back in 2011, Mike. And our director of agriculture, Steve Wellman, said it was the most widespread disaster in the past 50 years for our state. Wow. And a lot of the damage assessment is still going on, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, we have got floodwaters that are receding, and I, the Department of Roads has just gone above and beyond to hurry up and get as many of these roads open as they possibly could. At one point, we had over 1,500 miles that, of roads that were not accessible or underwater. And as the water has receded, they have seen county roads completely washed out. We've lost bridges. We've lost dams and levees. And, and major thoroughfares um, that they need for, for transportation to, to move grain, to move livestock, to move just commerce in general. So it's been, it's been a work, and it's going to continue. This isn't something that we're going to have fixed in a week to two weeks by any means. What are you hearing from farmers and livestock producers around the state? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, farmers, as we all know, and ranchers are some of the most resilient people, and they just kind of grabbed their bootstraps, pulled themselves up, and they've moved forward. They know that FEMA dollars will eventually be coming our way, but they're not going to wait. They're going to get in. They're going to do what they can to get things taken care of, and that includes, you know, building fence, trying to get livestock back together, finding missing livestock that unfortunately uh, perished in the floodwaters, and they are humble people and they're finally they're accepting help from others Uh, they've got guys coming in helping with building fence rounding up cattle we've got folks asking for square bales of hay versus the big round bales that cattle are used to eating off only reason being is they can fit the square bales inside the boats to go up the river to go to where these cattle are on islands or stranded in, in desolate areas to make sure that they continue to get feed 
We talked yesterday with the Nebraska Cattlemen's. Uh, they have a fund set up. We know that the uh, Farm Bureau is working on this. So you, as you mentioned earlier, there are a number of uh, uh, relief efforts underway. There is, you know, with the work that the cattlemen are doing, the work with Farm Bureau is doing. Um, Farm Bureau actually has an exchange page, which is for members and non-members alike. And it's a great opportunity if somebody says, boy, I am an expert at building high tensile fence. I've done it all my life. I'd like to come help. And a farmer or rancher can go onto that exchange, see somebody there, and make that contact to get that volunteer work to help. Um, whether it's cleaning out feedlot pens, cleaning out barns, cleaning out houses, um, there's a lot. These guys are putting their personals on, on hold, whether it's cleaning up their homes. They're just making sure that they've got a safe place to put those livestock. The PRCA, they've got cowboys, and this just is the coolest thing, Mike. They've got cowboys who spend a lot of time on that professional rodeo circuit doing roping and all kinds of different things that have said, hey, we're coming to Nebraska. We're going to help you round up these cattle, get them back together, get them sorted, and back home again. We're talking with Susan Littlefield with the KRVN Rural Radio Network. Susan, it's the first official day of spring on the calendar, but uh, I'm sure looking around your state, uh, planting looks like a long ways off for many farmers. Oh, yeah. I've talked to a few guys that they were they were saying, boy, we may have to switch to a different variety um, day length of corn. You know, they're used to 120, 132-day variety corn, and they said, well, we need to take a 100-day. And as I was talking to a producer from North Dakota yesterday, he's like, whoa, wait a second, that might take corn away from us, you know. So it's just things in the process that they're going to have to work through, fields that are going to be full of silt and sand, uh, trees, propane tanks, you name it. It has been pushed through. Even some grains, you know, small bins have been crushed by the flood water. What is your forecast? Are you getting a break in the weather now to help uh, things dry out a little bit? Yeah, we are. You know, the sun is out today. We're supposed to see 50s on the eastern half of the state. Maybe get a little bit of a breeze. That'll help dry things out. But, Mike, it's going to push things back a few weeks to even think about planting. Yeah, as you mentioned, the, the transportation, the infrastructure damage, that's that's really going to take uh, quite a while to, to get that repaired when we're talking roads and bridges. Oh, very much so. And not only that, the rail lines that are down. Mm-hmm. Both UP and BNSF have lines that are down. They've got to go out and make sure that the roadbeds haven't been washed away, get the balances back in, and make sure that the resurface and testing is done so they can get those trains moving with with the infrastructure getting grain to elevators, out of elevators. And and farmers and ranchers both know that at this point, um, things are at a standstill. We've got local businesses, sale barns, that have had to postpone sales for a second week because they know, one, they can't get the buyers in, and two, it's hard to get those cattle into the barns because of the roads being down. And it's going to be a priority county by county as to how fast they get individual roads repaired. And, of course, dollars are a big part of that. And Susan, I know you've you've addressed this in your reporting, uh, but the the emotional toll it takes on people, the stress that it puts on them, and we have to be concerned about that aspect too. Oh, very much so. You know, we we keep reminding folks that you need to take that time, and and reach out to somebody and talk to somebody, whether it's somebody who's your immediate family, friends, but don't bottle it up inside because once that happens, it, the devastation comes from there, and we're encouraging folks that are feeling overwhelmed, that are feeling stressed. Resources are literally a phone call away. And sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody you don't even know. And the Nebraska Rural Response Hotline has been kept busy and 
we're hoping to keep them busy because that means our farmers and ranchers are talking. All right, Susan, thanks for being with us. Thanks for all of the work you're doing with your reporting, and thanks for the update today. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, Mike. Susan Littlefield with the KRVN Rural Radio Network with an update on conditions in Nebraska. All right, coming up next, USDA's response uh, to the flooding in the Midwest. USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey joins us next for an update. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. want to make the most of your wheat crop's yield potential. BASF has a full portfolio of fungicides to help, starting with Preaxor brand fungicide. It gives you early to mid-season disease control, stress protection, and improved growth efficiency, which you need for higher yields. Now combine that with Nexacor Zemian brand fungicide for early to mid-season applications, and you've got disease control that helps deliver healthier, greener leaves longer. And more green means more photosynthesis, more grain mass, and potential yield. Now add in Caramba brand fungicide, and you're getting best-in-class head scab suppression plus control of late-season foliar diseases. That gives you a yield advantage over infected weed acres that are left untreated. The fact is with Preaxor fungicide, Nexacor fungicide, and Caramba fungicide all, all together, together in, in one portfolio, portfolio you're, you're covered, covered all the way through harvest. That's a winning combination. combination. For more, ask your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And as we continue to uh, keep you updated on the uh, situation with the Midwest flooding, joining us now is USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Bill, thanks for joining us. Um, what is the USDA response to uh, the flooding situation? I, I know, obviously, a uh, uh, Vice President Pence uh, was touring some of the flooded area yesterday. Uh, from a USDA perspective, what's happening? Well, we're in constant contact as well with the uh, the folks in the flooded area. Uh, still going on, obviously. Damage still happening. We have we have some programs that can help a little bit if there's some livestock losses to compost animals to do some of the cleanup. Um, some of that may be starting, but uh, I think some of it's a little ways away yet before uh, before some of the cleanup happens. Um, we're hearing just devastating losses. Uh, just just the numbers coming out of Nebraska, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of livestock losses, and the same with crop losses. Um, and we haven't begun to hear uh, some of the you know we've just seen the uh, the pictures and and the anecdotes of of the other areas. Lots and lots of losses. Very. Very devastating for folks. What are you hearing from your home state of Iowa? Well, there's lots of problems along the western side of the state, along the Missouri River and the tributaries running into that, as well as down the Des Moines, uh, in through Des, Mo- in through, uh, Des Moines River itself, or Des Moines City itself and all that area. Lots of other local flooding that probably, uh, you know, may not make the news, but but somebody's out there with some real problems um, and feels almost forgotten because uh, uh, they're not 
they're not on the news someplace. Uh, so lots of challenges. It looks a long ways away from spring planning. Uh, we've got folks that, that for the most part, um, have, have been able to, to take care of livestock, um, but uh, this thing came up so fast um, that, that uh, you know, the ice jams black, back stuff up and, and the snow melt on t- with, the, with the rain combined uh, caused stuff to happen so fast. Grain wasn't able to move. In some cases, they weren't able to get livestock out. Uh, certainly houses, farm buildings, you see green bin, um, green silo destruction as well, as well as feed damage once you get flood water into to hay bales or, or silage piles. Um, you certainly don't want to uh, generally use those at all as well. So uh, just almost going to be impossible to know how bad the damage is because it happens farm by farm. We're talking with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Uh, Bill, obviously this will be a long-term recovery effort. Uh, what kind of programs or assistance uh, can be offered through USDA to help uh, uh, folks over the course of this recovery period? So we have some folks that do have some livestock damage um, and uh, maybe lost some livestock uh, in, the, in the storm itself. Certainly uh, before the storm, we had some uh, terrible winter storms right during calving. We've got mud out there that are real that are problems as well. So there, there's a program called the Livestock Indemnity Program uh, that will uh, uh, support a producer's part of the producer's losses. Um, they need to folks need to get into uh, our farm service agency offices uh, once they understand what those losses are. Uh, to be able to uh, to let our folks know and be able to get an application going for those livestock indemnity programs. That was actually uh, changed uh, within the last year as well to look at the ongoing losses. So you may have an animal that uh, didn't didn't actually die in the storm but was health compromised and, and causes it to, to have either some ongoing uh, health issues that devalues that animal or or actually causes the loss of that animal later. And if it can be attributed back to an event uh, that is insurable, then that can be covered as well. Uh, we have a couple programs called uh, environmental or emergency um, assistance for livestock and honeybees and farm-raised fish. That's a, a livestock, and in a lot of cases, beekeepers um, will apply uh, for some of the uh, coverage for losses there. We have an emergency conservation program, emergency watershed program. Um, each of those, one through FSA, one through NRCS, uh, that will help do some cleanup. Um, so as waters get down, um, there's going to be a lot of debris. Uh, there are waterways. There's going to be fences out, um, other kind of damage. Uh, and we can uh, we can help cover some of the cost of that. Um, that has been a program that's used very heavily in the hurricanes that went through this last year. We've had hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to be able to help producers um, do some of the cleanup uh, from from those hurricanes that went through the southeast U.S. Um, we're actually probably going to need a few more dollars. I think there's going to be an effort uh, for another funding bill to be able to look at 
some of the disasters uh, this last year earlier, but now probably to include uh, the funding funding for the flooding here that's going through the Midwest as well. So those um, we got some programs there that need to uh, to get a few more dollars in them, probably to be able to handle the demand that we'll see from this this flooding, depending on how long it goes. Bill, have you heard from any of your county offices? Uh, were they damaged, or are they able to, uh, uh, you know, be open to have people come in and, and apply for some of this assistance? We have a few offices that are closed temporarily, but uh, many of the offices are open. Um, and uh, so uh, certainly give a try to a county office if you're interested in, in being able to see what's available and you have some losses. Uh, they'll open back up if we have them closed. Uh, here temporarily, uh, we may end up with some offices that will have some damage that will cause some longer-term uh, closures. But right now, most of the offices are open. Um, wherever it's safe for us and our customers, uh, we're going to have those offices open. And, and uh, for the most part, that's continuing to happen. As we mentioned, this is going to be a long-term effort because it's going to take a while to truly assess uh, damage and uh, then to be able to uh, get to an office and start uh, looking into what's available to them. So uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a while, isn't it? It is, Mike. Um, and, and we never quite know what you'll find under that water. You know, the water mm-hmm. moves a lot of stuff. Uh, that damaged material, whether it's a grain bin or, or rocks or sand, gets moved around. It's a powerful item. Uh, you can see it in some of the videos that are out there. Um, in, in underneath that, um, you know, you think, okay, the water goes back down and they'll be planting corn in that area in, in three weeks. Well, first of all, it may take longer than that. And second of all, there may be some sand moved around that will take some cleanup and, and you could have year, you know, you could lose at least part of the year, maybe all the year, in some of that land uh, where a lot of waters move, levees have been knocked out. Um, in some cases, gullies are created because of the way the water moves across some of these areas along, especially our rivers or the tributaries going into the rivers. So it is devastating. The, the pieces that, that we can do, we will do. We want to be able to help folks, um, but I think everybody knows um, that these um, these losses can't all be covered by us or by insurance companies or all the challenges that producers have, especially the ongoing losses as well. You destroy a feed yard or a livestock building or feed damage, you only get paid part of it. Uh, If you get paid at all, depending on what you have for insurance and the situation, you have lost income, um, lots of time and effort to try just to get back to where you were before the storm came through. So... Um, I think there are some efforts out there as well to uh, to help producers. I think Nebraska has an effort to be able to provide feed for producers that need some feed. Um, and whether they lost their hay or they lost some other feed for cows. Um, and, and we certainly will see lots of folks stepping up to volunteer and help others. 
Yeah, we are already seeing a lot of those uh, different efforts underway, uh, a lot of different funds being set up and contributions coming in and other assistance uh, efforts underway. Uh, wanted to get an update, though, on the, how USDA will be uh, handling this and offering assistance. And that's why we have been talking with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Bill, thank you for joining us, and we'll stay in touch as uh, this continues. Thank, and uh, we have more developments to d- report. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're going to talk markets now with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrifinance. Steve, usually when we talk, we start off with China and the latest there. We'll get to China a little bit later, but uh, obviously the, the more pressing story for much of the Midwest, the, the flooding and what looks to be a delayed planting season. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we first have to say our hearts and prayers and thoughts go out to those folks in Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri, who are just getting inundated right now with water. And I have family in southwest Iowa, and it's, you know, it has just been horrible down there. Yeah, I think there's no question. I think we all thought that planting would be delayed this spring because of, you know, a lot of moisture going in. The, you know, we had a lot of moisture coming into winter. We froze. We got more moisture. Then we got rain. So I think we expected that, but I don't know that we expected this sort of devastation this early and this severe. And it, you know, you kind of have to wonder in some of those areas, and, and that's a question I asked yesterday, and I haven't had a chance to sit down and think about or and look at how many acres are there there that, you know, do we even get them planted this spring? Um, you know, are we? Ta- we're you know we're talking several hundreds of thousands of acres for sure um, in that area, and those are prime producing areas. So. That's a concern, I think, right off the bat, is that we may have a few less acres planted this year because we're just not going to be able to get to it. Um, you'd have to have, I mean, even today, if this all went away today, which we know it won't, um, and you consider you're, you're basically 1st of April now, you've got a lot of drying to get done to be able to get that, you know, get that ground ready, cleaned up, ready, and ready for planting. I think that's a, that's a pretty high order to do. I, I I have a lot of confidence in U.S. farmers. They can get a lot done fast, but, boy, this is asking a lot when they've got a lot of cleanup to do before they even get in the field. So this does have ramifications that way. I do think it probably it does give you a little opportunity maybe in the markets here as we get into spring um, that we just, you know, just a few less acres, a little less cushion if something goes wrong. I think all those things you have to consider. It does appear that I do see in some locales, both for corn and soybeans, bases having a little bit of an uptick here. Uh, part of it is because ground, you know grain's not moving because one either they've they're underwater which is a bad thing 
um, and or they can't move it because the roads are so so wet and so muddy they just can't get out get you know even get the bins, let alone get them down the road. So there's some opportunities that I think producers need to be thinking about and you know paying attention to if they can move grain or get it you know get it sold. We know markets assume that the crop will get planted, uh, so yeah. they they don't react uh, you know especially this early as much as uh, a lot of us might just looking at the situation, but. Are we kind of creating perhaps a f- even more friendly scenario for the corn market if some of those acres that are, if they get planted, will be late planted, might switch more to soybeans? Well, I think, yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth there in your question. First of all, yes, the market is just assuming that we're going to get planted. You know, the market, too, and I, I think to look even farther down the road into the, into the growing season, the market's going to have to be, and we'll use a Missouri, Missouri term, you know, show me. Um, you know, the market's looked at the last couple, three years, and we've had less than ideal weather, and we're still producing bumper crops. So the market's like, you got to show me we can't produce a crop before I get excited and take markets up. I think the other question is that, yes, you could see more soybeans planted because you can't get corn in the ground. I think that's a real possibility. It's not really what the bean market needs right now. It actually needs less acres because you've got plenty of stocks, so that's not necessarily a good thing for the bean market. So probably a little more bearish for beans, a little more friendly corn. But I think the other overriding issue to consider is that if you can't get planted, you know, as you well know, sitting in Jacksonville, Illinois, and, and, you know, coming from Iowa, you know, those guys, they want to get out in the fields, you know, boy, two weeks from now, if if the weather's even 60 degrees and it's dry, they'll get out in the field, as you well know. But the fact is, if we delay this, you... questions here a lot of unknowns on this first day of spring as we look to this uh, planting and growing season we're talking with steve nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst for robo agrofinance all right steve let's go to the uh the china roller coaster here uh and we get we get conflicting stories all the time they're close to a deal then they're not close and uh, this is going to go on for a while uh are the markets getting tired of that back and forth or what's their reaction Markets, we have to remember, too, markets, you know, they survive on rumors. They love rumors. So this is, you know, just makes volatility and markets move up and down. And so we have to remember that, too, as, you know, sellers of grain, you know, or buyers, if you're a feeder, um, you know, that provides some opportunities you probably think about that you have this roller coaster. But, you know, the other thing, too, is besides, you know, surviving on rumors and markets like that, at some point you're absolutely correct in, your, in what you said is the market's kind of, it can, it's like, you know, little boy who shouted wolf too many times and the market's going well here we go again and we don't care we're going to trade on we'll trade on the fundamentals and i i think there's a little bit of that coming is like i'll believe it when i see it and then we'll then we'll decide what to do once the deal's made because we don't know what what that deal is going to be but you're right i mean it is a roller coaster you know i think what was an hour yesterday or maybe two hours we thought that you know the chinese have backed off some of their promises which we've talked about before that they're not good at keeping uh, and then within an hour or two, we said, oh, no, we're working hard, we're getting moving on, and, you know, we're going to Beijing this next week, and then they're coming to Washington in two weeks from now. So 
I think you're right up front. You said in your question, we're going to be. This is going to be a while, and you know, it's just that some of these, you know, these issues that we're dealing with are extremely difficult. Uh, the Chinese are not willing to budge on them. I, in in my view, um, and I think it's going to be tough to get them to budge. And it, you can go back to the whole issue of how how do we enforce that, and that's even the stickier point of all the of the of the couple issues we just ticked off. So uh, this is far from over, in my view. Now, we did get an announcement with Brazil that looks good for selling them more U.S. wheat and pork. Yep, yep. And I think that's that's a good thing. I mean, we, you know, we've seen the hog market up pretty substantially the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's primarily because of African swine flu, uh, swine fever, excuse me. But, yeah, it, you know, we do have some good things going on in Brazil. And it makes sense. I mean, we've got the wheat to sell. They need the wheat. Or, you know, Argentina didn't have the wheat from last year's harvest. We're going to get it. So I, I think those are all good things. And I, and I think, too, is that you look at going forward, let's say Brazil does become the supplier to China of soybeans, and we all talked about that for years, that the U.S. will not become the soybean. But, you know, someone in the world is going to need soybeans, and the U.S. might as well be that supplier. And, you know, we've seen a big uptick this year versus a year ago. In, in, in soybeans going to South America, part of that's because of the drought, part of because all those beans that used to go to the countries surrounding Brazil and Argentina couldn't get beans from Brazil, so they're, they're coming to the United States to get them. So I think there's, you know, I think that's the other thing we have to think about is to think about how the markets are changing. And, and I've wondered this aloud, and, I, and I've never got a lot of pushback, but, and I'm not being critical, critical of trade associations or USDA, but we've all, our focus for years and years has been China. And I wonder, have we forgotten sometimes about other markets that are developing and markets are growing that you know are also good are good customers of U.S. and I, a good could be potentially good customers, long-term customers that we need to focus on now. Maybe China is not where that focus needs to be. Yeah, we we hear more and more from the Grains Council and the Meat Export Federation that they are working on those other markets. Uh, the challenge is it takes a lot of in some cases it takes a lot of those markets to make up for a big one like China. Yeah. And that's the problem. Is it's it's an old adage, you know. You know, China is the is the the 50 pound bag, and the rest of the world is the 25 pound bag. Well, you can't st- stuff 50 pounds in that 25 ba- 25 pound bag in the rest of the world, and so you can't you can't make up for that. And that that is the challenge. Exactly right. Is that um, you can't make up for China, but at the same time, you know, China. You know, there's other parts of the world. You know, India has over a billion people. Southeast Asia is over like 1.2 billion people. So there are other places in the world with lots of people who need to eat and who are improving their eating habits. And we have, you know, I think we, as an, and I'm glad, you know, I know the trade associations are focusing on it, but I think those are where opportunities are, and we just probably need to put a little more emphasis there. But, but you're right, too. Those markets take years to develop, and that's not going to happen overnight. Real quick, Steve. Um, yes. You, we've, we always talk about uh, be ready to take advantage of a market opportunity, but yep. I, I think a lot of these folks in these flooded areas, uh, you know, we don't know that the grain in those bins may be damaged, and even if they could get get to it, they might not be able to get it out because of the roads and bridges and the damage to the infrastructure. Yeah, and and that's a, one of the things I was going to look at too is you know what are the stocks in some of those areas if we could pinpoint it down. You know, I, I saw some you know some aerial photos, and you look at grain piles sitting next to elevators underwater, and you think, boy, I mean, that's what do you do with that? I mean, you can't use that now. Um, you know that corn or that whatever it is, it's going to be. You just it's unusable, and 
so you probably do see some, you know, you see a few million bushels that get, you know, kind of lopped off the balance sheet because they're not available to be used anymore. And, and, and you're right. Even if they could get to it, they, if they, you know, how do they, you know, are they going to tear it out by boat right now or by interrogator or something? But because your roads just aren't going to be able to take that weight right now. And you've got roads that are out, you have railroads that are out, so you have a lot of damage to infrastructure that has to be repaired as well. And that's, that's the other big challenge here in front of us. All right, Steve, thanks for the, uh, the update, and we'll stay in touch. Uh, it's going to be, uh, wow, I think of these, next, uh, these next few weeks are yeah, wow. a lot of questions to be answered for sure, yeah, and absolutely. they may linger beyond that. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. So lots of questions. Consumers have a lot of questions about the meat that they are deciding whether they're going to eat or not. Antibiotics a big part of that question. We're going to talk about that with the Center for Food Integrity next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Could consumer concerns about the use of antibiotics given to animals cause them to reduce or even eliminate meat from their diets? Let's look at some new information, some new research from the Center for Food Integrity. Joining us now is Terry Fleck, Executive Director for the Center for Food Integrity. Terry, thanks for joining us. What does the new research indicate on this topic? Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate uh, being allowed to be on your show today. Uh, again, at the center, we um, have known for a number of years that antibiotic resistance is a pretty important public health concern. And um, at the center, we actually have been uh, implementing a, a new approach to research use, utilizing digital social ethnography. It just allows us to explore thousands of interactions uh, on uh, in real time, uh, interactions that are online to help us understand what why people care really about the, about the topic. So we we actually took the issue of antibiotic resistance and did some additional probing, and we found some interesting results. Uh, certainly, uh, consumers that are most interested uh, in this topic uh, match a research profile of being uh, being white, educated, middle class females primarily between the ages of 25 and 40, who really want to be re, uh, viewed as uh, responsible, compassionate, and are willing to adjust their way of living according to what they believe is going to be more environmentally responsible. So 
does this play into this uh, meatless Monday move in New York and and things like that? I mean, should should uh, we take those things more seriously based on this research? Is that what it's saying? Well, again, this uh, this consumer is very interested in the topic and certainly may be willing to make other choices, uh, uh, such as uh, participating in, in a meatless Monday, maybe more apt to purchase organic products, or even look at new meat alternatives. Uh, part of the driver that the research has shown is uh, that their, their main concern is they want to be viewed as being responsible and compassionate, certainly willing to adjust and be a good provider for their family, and, and fear that their choices may adversely impact uh, not only their own health, uh, but the health of their families, animals, and the environment. And so with those drivers, they are asked to, to make different decisions, not that they would certainly get away from traditional meat consumption, but, uh, but may be willing to make some choices where they're actually consuming less uh, over time. Uh, now, where this is really important, uh, I think, for uh, for uh, those involved in, in the traditional uh, uh, protein segment uh, these days is is really to begin to address the deeper drivers uh, behind this this trend, uh, and that can be simply you know aligning values uh, uh, with those of the consumer, uh, talking through about progress uh, being made to reduce the use of antibiotics, uh, showing continuous improvement, and highlighting the important role that animal protein plays in a healthy diet. Yeah, what is the best approach, Terry, do you think? Uh, Just facts and statistics won't do it, will it? No, it really doesn't, Mike. Again, as as research at the center has shown over the last several years, you really need to evaluate align your values with the values of the consumer. So in this case, uh, understanding what their what their unspoken motivations really are uh, and affirming them. So it would be affirming the fact that this consumer uh, is responsible, this consumer is compassionate, um, and knowing that they want to be a good provider for their family, and then uh, focusing in on really addressing their fears. Uh, and so here... Uh, would be where you would use examples of not only the the role that uh, that protein plays in the diet, but talking through dramatic improvements, which uh, you know, the meat industry has you know phenomenal uh, story to tell around sustainability, how uh, livestock uh, farmers are using fewer natural resources than any time uh, in their history, and talking through um, some of those things that they're doing, showing examples of perhaps how they're reducing the carbon footprint and, um, you know, being being responsible for uh, reducing those environmental impacts, just like reducing air travel or reducing food waste would uh, show show similar uh, actions to consumers. Terry, I think it, it, it might be a natural reaction to those, especially in, in livestock production, when they hear stories about people saying they're they're going to quit eating meat because they want to save the planet, and we and we might tend to think that's ridiculous, but we have to keep in mind those people probably feel very strongly about that, and even though we think it's misguided, that's their belief. So we have to be able to have a a convincing comeback to them 
maybe they want to eat meat, but they want to feel good about it, that we have to have some information uh, and reach them on a level that will uh, convince them that it's all right. Well, you're right, Mike. And, again, a lot of people just simply want to be affirmed uh, about the choices that they're making. They do want to consume meat, milk, eggs, uh, uh, products like this. And so we, we do need to continue to talk to them. Uh, about those fears. The, the nice part about what this research is allowing our members to take a look at is what kind of consumer grouping do they need to focus in on most and where do they really need to be having that conversation. So um, not that this is exclusively the audience, but you know, our, our research identified probably about 17 to 18% of the population is intensely focused. Uh, on this issue of antibiotic resistance. Uh, and again, it, it tends to be a white, educated, middle-class audience uh, earning a considerable amount of money um, and perhaps having children at home uh, where you know, they, they know their, their choices are going to have a greater impact. So it does allow us to identify uh, who the audience is, have the conversation, um, and again, be... Uh, uh, be affirming to uh, their motivations and alleviating their fears. All right, interesting. Terry, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity. Terry Fleck, Executive Director for the Center for Food Integrity. All right, thanks for joining us. More tomorrow here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. <music> 